passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson, Michael Brunts, here on a Wednesday afternoon. Gentlemen, we are... Only a couple media availabilities away from the big red-white game on April 9th, 1 p.m., televised on BTN. Mark Whipple fired up for it, as said on Wednesday. Uh, maybe maybe not so much fired up for it. Maybe he's more in line with where we are for it. But it does give us an opportunity to, to potentially assess where things sit here this spring. Brunts, I know that you have – you kind of have a, a question and, and potentially some thoughts on what I think is a relatively unique spring football for the three of us that have been doing this now, uh, you know, all for more than a decade. Yeah, no, I, it, it feels like there's, there's some springs where it's very quiet, you know, you, you kind of around it, here. Well, quiet ish. <laughs> Are you talking about other programs? Yeah. I, I would imagine those t- those happen elsewhere. Um, I, I would love the, the end of this podcast if you can name one quiet Nebraska spring in the last, uh, I don't know, 15 years. Was 2016 quiet? That felt quiet. So let's see. So 2016, the second year of Mike Riley. You're, you're coming off the big win over in UCLA in the Foster Farms Bowl. You, you know, were... You, you already have your quarterback established in Tommy Armstrong. Yeah, you didn't have a changeover in coordinators. It, it was pretty boring. Um, I I would say that's as quiet as it gets. Is that fair? Yeah, I don't have it. There's not like an immediate thing that comes to mind with with it. It always helps when you have that the quarterback piece already settled. I mean, I think that's ninety percent of it. But I'm sure if we dug back into the archives, there was probably some misgivings about how Nebraska was going to look on their defensive front. Cause didn't Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine leave after that season or was it the following one? Uh, th- that was after that one. Yeah. So that probably would have been among your bigger storylines. What do they have up front, which, you know, may or may not be one of your bigger storylines in 2022. Yeah. So my question to you guys as veterans of this, of this Nebraska football circus where, where does this – where does – I guess what's kind of your feeling on just the – if somebody said summarize these 15 practices with the background of, you know, whatever is going to happen in the fall, this being a kind of a make-or-break year, 
it, it, it's been odd. Is that fair to say? Uh, my summation of it would be that people are probably rightly, for understandable reasons, distracted by everything that's going on with the offense. Well, I actually have almost more questions about the defense. And I find it, I think the strange dynamic at play is that I'm getting the impression the offense is at head of the, of the defense, which you don't always see this time of year. And it's when you double the fact that it's an offense with a new OC, new QB, a lot of different skill parts that are changing. Uh, that's sort of a, a surprise to me. So um, that part is a little, I don't know. It's, it's hard to make what to make of it when you hear like the O-line is like, as Sean Becton said this week, you know, they're running it consistently on the defense. Now, Mark Whipple also said, hey, there's been good, some good give and take between both sides of the ball. And my experience is when I'm on a ba- coaching a bad football team, there's not that give and take. So he did say that there's been some, you know, exchanges where the defense has definitely won. But I find that part interesting. Everybody's talking about the offense, but I keep wondering, like, what's that defensive line going to end up looking like? Yeah. You know, like, how do they get that together? And, and yet there's this quiet confidence Chenander sometimes seems to have about they can pull that off and they can make that work. But on the outside looking in, I sometimes have some uh, concerns about it. Yeah, I I think that Brian kind of hit on some of it for me, which is basically like the bells and the whistles are all of the new players and new pieces. And you have a quarterback situation going on, a new offensive coordinator, who's going to be the running back. So those those conversations conversations take up a lot of the space, and then I, I do think there's been a fair amount of conversing about the offensive line and about Donovan Rayola. The thing that always makes it difficult, and the thing that I think has beleaguered Nebraska, its coaches, its media, and its fans, is that for most of this portion, you only go against or you know all of this portion, you only go against what you have on the other side of the ball. And so, you know, Nebraska, if they're able to run the ball this spring or in fall camp, I don't know that that tells me as much as if they were able to do it in previous years, because I just think that defensive line and that defensive front has a lot more question marks than what we've kind of come to expect, really. You know, I I think we knew what that group was going into 2020 and 2021. I don't really think we know what the front seven is right now. We don't even really know what alignment they're going to use most of the time. I mean, Garrett Nelson was being discussed as a defensive end the other day by Jamari Butler. So what does that exactly mean for how Nebraska plays? I'm not entirely sure. But I I just find the tenor over there sort of uh, in a very much a will-see mode, I guess. I, I think that they have an idea of what the pieces are and what it could look like. But there's also some key people that are either sitting out missing um, from this whole thing. I mean, you have two of your likely offensive line starters aren't practicing and may not practice until fall camp at the earliest. You have one of your tight ends, a position that uh, they plan to highlight more or utilize more in their passing offense. You you probably are without both of your top two tight ends this spring. So it's a, it's really kind of unique to try to figure out, okay, what is this team 
when there's just vitally important pieces that aren't involved. We don't know what Isaiah Garcia Castaneda is, but right now it feels like Nebraska is going to need him to be one of their top six wide receivers because they don't love what they have behind that. Uh, we, you know, Omar Brown was banged up coming in. Uh, I don't know how much he's practiced so far. Uh, so there's there's all these different little pieces that we really haven't heard about or seen, and we haven't seen any practice at all. So you're only going off of what you hear. And it just sort of feels like we're very much in a, well, this is what we're doing for now. We'll see if it matters later. I don't know. Does that kind of capture how you feel, Brunts? Yeah, it's. I, I think this year more than any, there there's a lot of the, the pile of questions that we're not going to have answers to feels significantly larger um, that not having answers until fall until that, that kind of game week, almost it, that pile feels a lot bigger than at any point that uh, on this beat uh, that I've been on the beat. Um, it's interesting too, to me that, um, you know, you, you ha- you do have a lot of guys missing because of injuries. So you're not getting that complete picture there. Um, but, but they're also, and, and maybe I maybe this is me reading too too much into it, but that it seems like there's an acknowledgement though of of the tension of of what this season means for Nebraska football and the future of the program because you have you know when you replace as many coaches as Nebraska did in the off season that immediately is a signal to players coaches that are left um, you know on the staff still that you know th- this is a really key year. Um, you know, when you have your head coach giving back a million dollars of salary and, and a lot of potential buyout money, I mean, that, that kind of ups the ante a little bit. And when you bring in so many new faces, too, I think that's the other thing that that when you talk to guys that have been around the program for a while, they feel the fact that Nebraska has kind of played the, the transfer portal waiver wire game, too. And so it, it, it's this weird balance of, there's still a heck of a lot we don't know about this team after 15 spring practices with we're going to have to figure out answers really quick and be ready to go when the season gets rolling when they play Northwestern and Ireland. So that's kind of, I think, the tension that that you have there is a lot of unknowns, but, but that that date where you're going to have to know things really, really quickly. I, I have a question for you guys. Is there anything on this team – that you now feel better about that we're nearly done with spring uh that that maybe you were apprehensive about it before spring practice started yeah i'm not saying i totally believe they're just going to own people up front but the offensive line hearing the actual players talk about it like brant banks this week about uh, it feels like Bruns was standing there when he was talking. It's like sort of like their eyes have been open to some new idea of like <laughs> technique wise and stuff like getting off the ball. They keep talking about it sort of in this mysterious fashion, but there there seems to be like, yeah, there's there's something new here. There, it really is like something we haven't been doing up front and we feel good about it. And I know people will roll their eyes at that and say, yeah, I've kind of heard that before. But I don't know if I've heard it as much from players specifically who are just energized by like what they're learning from their new coach and then how that is like being processed over to the practice field and them actually having success with it. And again, that kind of goes back to your what do you make of it? Is the O-line rolling or is the D-line stink or is it something in between? 
that's where you don't know in the spring. But I do think, you know, if you're just saying take one thing and look at it like the offensive line, you'd have to say, well, that's pretty encouraging for a group that has a lot of question marks and has two of their main guys out right now who are probably starters. What about you, Brunts? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's confidence that, that special teams will be better. I, I don't really have a, a ton to base that off of, but I mean, I, I feel like Nebraska's getting closer to nailing the personnel stuff. And I feel like that's the way that you shift around special teams quickly. And, you know, Bill Bush starts most days over there with a the special teams meeting. He kind of sets the tone for everybody. I think that's by design. I, I think that, um, you know, he, he really has captured the imagination of guys, um, you know, non-specialists. I mean, guys buying into things. And especially after the way last year unfolded, I think that Nebraska's players understand the importance of that part of the game. So I, I, I think I will leave the spring cautiously optimistic that, you know, that, that, that piece of it is going to be better. And, and I think a large part of that is just Bill Bush being there and having somebody who's solely focused on that part of the game. Finally. Yeah. I think, he, I, oh, I, I think Bush has done a good job of making guys more than I've heard before to understand, like, let's say you're a first year player and you're just trying to get on the travel bus. Like that's your step, the step you're trying to take this year. I think more than ever, he has emphasized and it's hit home. Like this is your key to, like your football career is locked up in special teams, you know, like if, if you want to get on the travel roster to start your college career, you have to be good at special teams. If you want to be a guy who thinks you can play in the NFL in uh, three or four years, you better have special teams capability, sort of like a Stanley Morgan shows and guys like that who were, you know, they're great position players in college, but if you don't have the other part of it, like Luke Gifford has with the Cowboys, you aren't going to last in that league more than through a camp. And I think he has really emphasized that and guys have taken to it. And he stressed like, look at Georgia's roster, look at LSU's roster and look at the guys who are on special teams. These are guys who are going to get drafted, who are playing on these units and playing at a high level. And I, I've just heard more about that probably than I have in the past. And I have to think that that resonates with a lot of guys. And, and I, I, I don't think that redshirt years are obsolete, but I think that if, if it's if it comes down to a question of whether – if a guy's like borderline of whether or not he's going to redshirt or not, and especially at positions like linebacker, uh, safety, um, you know, those types of positions that are really big on special teams, I, I think the, the conversation now with the transfer portal has to be to, to get those guys on the field. I mean, for a guy like – I mean, let's – Ernest Hausman, if if he's close to being able to contribute in the fall on special teams, I think the decision has been made a lot easier to just say, okay, this is the best guy. We're going to roll with him. Redshirt year be damned because it's not – it's no longer a, a five-year question anymore. I think it's much more of a year-to-year thing, and I think that – is going to make some of those decisions about special teams a little bit easier than what they have been in the past. That's a good point. Red shirts have never been more overrated. I mean, if the people rate them highly, I guess. I don't know. Maybe some people don't. I don't know where red shirts are rating in the general population's mind, but that that's a really good point. It sounds like a good Twitter poll for you. You just go 
just without any context, how do you rate red shirts? The red shirt uh, is dead. Yeah. Long live the red shirt. My column. <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to that. People can find it at Husker 24-7. It's the only place you could get such content. <laughs> I am sure of that. I am sure of it. I uh, Before we, we transition away from football, I want to dive into a little bit of recruiting. Nebraska's had some guys on campus as of late. Kendrick Gilbert was out here on Monday, still hoping to hear back from him. It does sound like the visit went well from other people, but I, I would like to hear what he thought of it. They had Andre Smith out, a wide receiver out of the Kansas City area, which to me is mostly notable that they continue to be hitting that Kansas City area really hard. And then I think the big news and, and what I want to touch on, Nebraska will have an official visitor at the spring game. They might have more than one, but we know they'll have one, and that's going to be O'Shawn Mathis, a TCU transfer, an edge player, a pass rusher. All of those things that Nebraska fans largely have been clamoring for coming off of the edge is what he's been doing for TCU the last couple of years. Nebraska is going to need to hit this visit out of the park. They're going to need the atmosphere to be to the liking of Mathis. They're going to need him to see that there's an opportunity to play right away. And the NIL component of it is going to be very large, I would imagine, as well. They're going head-to-head, basically, with Texas. Penn State, Old Miss, and USC are all involved as well. But this very much feels like Nebraska-Texas, two teams that I think want to find some more help from the edge rushing spot. TCU, uh, former coach Gary Patterson, is now the special assistant for Steve Sarkeesian down at Texas. So that's going to be a pretty tough thing for Nebraska to get past, but this is a big opportunity for the Huskers and a, uh, a really large visit this early into the, uh, the visit calendar. I don't know if you guys remember or not, cause it's been years. It has actually been, it will be three years on Friday. Nebraska can start hosting official visitors again up through uh, I want to say the second to last weekend of June. So they'll be able to have official visitors on campus. People will get to uh, to see that. They haven't been able to do it in 2020 or 2021, and they didn't take a big advantage of it in 2019. So it is going to be a curious conversation. How many official visitors do they actually have in the spring? How many come in for the spring game? Or do they try to save that off for June as they have the last couple of years? We will be keeping an eye on that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, let's take a uh, let's take a detour from football recruiting over to basketball roster management, in which Fred Hoiberg, who does not have what he's down one assistant coach in Matt Abdelmassa, 
they don't have whatever the hell it is that Doc Sadler has been doing for two years or last year or whatever it is. He's gone as well. Um, and they have lost Bryce McGowan as well as Eduardo Andre. Who else has left so far? Keon Edwards. Keon Edwards. I feel like there's another one in there too. Is that it? You get Trevor Lakes. Yeah, Trevor Lakes. Trevor, yeah. <laughs> Shame on me for forgetting such valuable contributions to the 2022 season. Trevor Lakes as well. But they do have some good news on the horizon. A player that I know that Brian Christopherson holds pretty highly on uh, on on the roster for this past year. Derek Walker is returning. Give us your thoughts, BC. He rates him higher than red shirts. He does. He does. <laughs> Take that, Karan McPherson. I don't know. I'm I'm open and to Oleg you guys. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm open to you guys uh, disagreeing, but I I just felt like Derek Walker was uh, probably the most improved player on the roster. And when you think back of sort of that, as much of a stinky season as it was, you know, in late December when Fred Hoiberg said, "Okay, what am I going to do with this offense? Nobody can shoot." Um, he started working through Derek Walker a lot more and they got better efficiency wise. And if you look at the numbers, they improved. And I know some people can scoff at that because the wind sure didn't come for like two months after that. But I also think Derek Walker is one of those guys who, yes, uh, he's sort of undersized in comparison with the guys he has to match up against sometimes in the big 10, but he's a guy who will, who will lean on guys and is put together and will make them fight for, through a 40 minutes, you know? And so I think with Blaze Keita coming in, he's a very good, you know, I always call him bridge players as far as like helping Blaze kind of get going. You have an experienced hand in Derek Walker who can show him the ropes, who you know you've already got good minutes you're, that you're going to have. I I think it was a big return. Um, there's still a couple more guys out. We can talk about that. Trey McGowan's lap man. But I think really the story to me, and I'll turn it over to you with this, is there's not as much turnover so far as maybe you would have projected like in early March. You know, like really, as we as you said, there's only going to be one coaching spot to fill. Now it's a big one because it was your lead recruiter. But I think we thought maybe it would be just a whole new staff almost. That hasn't happened. Um, I think there was a time where we didn't, necessarily expect Derek Walker who referred to himself as a senior in interviews throughout the year to come back. And so, I mean, they're, they're honestly not going to be, it's not going to be as much of a remodeling as I necessarily thought. And people can decide if that's good or bad, I guess. So yeah, it's the, the, the uh, I'm not all the way back in, but when you kind of start when you start looking at what you can do in the front court with with Walker coming back it's at least moderately intriguing compared to what Nebraska's front court has been the last few years i mean you you could pair walker with, with blaze kita you could you know work wilhelm in there once he's back and ready to go i mean he's kind of like the forgotten guy after the knee injury um i mean oleg's 7 seven feet, you know, you, you don't know what he's going to really give you. I know that, you know, we've heard that he had a good red shirt season, but there's at least options there and, and guys that, that look like big 10 type 
bodies in, in the post rather than having, you know, Derek Walker having to be everything there. So I, I it's at least, uh, you know, everything's kind of, like you said, everything's been kind of kept together pretty well, all things considered. You have the entire recruiting class uh, that was rated 30th by 24-7 sports uh, in the country. They're, they're intact. So that's a, that's a pretty good couple of weeks of business for Fred Hoiberg there with, with, you know, not having your lead recruiter who put that whole thing together. Um, we'll see where things go, but I think all things considered that that's been a good, uh, a good March for, for Nebraska. I continue to wonder. And so would it Walker on his posts that basically asks like who's next, like insinuating that there might be someone else coming back. Or did I just completely misread into this? Do either of you know what I'm talking about at all? Um, in his social, in the post announcing his return. Yeah, I thought he did, but I might, I might be wrong on that one. I don't know, but I, I am curious what Trey McGowan chooses to do because I don't think he's going to have the kind of opportunities that you know. I, I doubt he's going to go overseas and play. Um, I don't even know that he'd be an NBA G League guy that could just make a career out of playing in the G League for, you know, a handful of seasons. So I, I and I, I also don't know that he's someone that is going to be a really sought after commodity for a major school for basketball either if he were to to be able to go into the transfer portal. So I, I find myself just kind of curious what Trey McGowan chooses to do. Cause I think he could still have some pretty good value for this program. Um, you know, just being another one of those bridge players, a guy that, you know, plays a lot of defense that can get to the rim when he needs to can help with little with the ball handling uh, that can provide some toughness that knows the big 10 pretty well. Now having played two seasons in it, like I, I think Nebraska would be better off if Trey McGowan's returned. I don't know that he's going to do that, but I, I am somewhat interested to see if if that's how things play out. I doubt there's a reason that either side of Latman or Nebraska should want that return to happen. Um, but you know, maybe maybe there's there is. I I don't know. With, with Trey, I think that one I think there's an appealing aspect of it for both people. Am I you guys agree with that or do you think that it, it's probably best for everybody if Nebraska and Trey go opposite directions? I think it's good if he comes back uh, for both parties. I think it would be good if he came back in another spot or two were open, at least one more spot, and, you know, you hit a home run. <laughs> like, it's a big ask, but, like, you hit a home run with that spot that opens. Right now, they're actually right on the 13 number, counting Lat and counting Trey of the scholarships guys they can have. So, um, at this moment, they're – they're exactly lined up. I sort of don't get why. I know it's always popular nowadays to say, well, this guy's ready to move on and do this next thing. But I think Schaefer, you kind of laid it out. Like if you love to play basketball at a fairly high level and you're, you know, you're, you're going to a, a program that's in the, the big 10 and um, night in, night out, getting those opportunities, and you can do another year of it to try to enhance your brand or your game if you think you can play this game for a while longer. I don't see the downside in that. 
And I think his defensive ability um, is why I would want him back because, you know, there's, there's a, so many, the, the games where Nebraska had success, he was always like the first guy Fred Hoiberg would mention as like, yeah, it doesn't show up because he scored five points or whatever, but he was the best player on the court because he took this guy out of the game for 30 minutes. Yeah. I, 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 real quick update on Derek Walker's Twitter post. It was what's next, not who's next. Oh. My apologies. <laughs> so rumors get started. Well, I, I went and fact checked. We're not even, people can't even hear this right now. So within two minutes of me being completely wrong, I redeem myself. <laughs> All right, I'll shut up now. So the the other thing that uh, about Trey, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he at least explored the, the the draft process but maintained eligibility. I mean, I, I think he could be a situational defender. I mean, I, I don't I, I don't know what that gets him, but certainly not a you know a, a draft pick type choice type thing, but um, at least to get a read on maybe where he stands. But I, I he would be a, a, an important piece for Nebraska if he came back, because if you look at what Nebraska has depth wise on the wings, I mean, they, they're going to need some, some veteran help there. And that, that would be, I, I think really important. Um, and, and like Brian said, I mean, in the big 10, you need that kind of guy that can take a guy out of the game or at least, um, you know, make a team have to go to their second or third option in the backcourt. So I, I, I think Nebraska would welcome him back. I, I don't know what Lat's long-term plans are. I don't know what, what the, the door looks like for him, but um, if you get Walker back and you could get Trey back, that, those are a couple guys that I think are pretty important to have in the huddle during a game. I, I also get why people right now are shaking their head. Like, okay, you guys are acting like this is a good thing that certain guys are returning from a team that won 10 games. And I guess my reasoning is I think they need the foundation of guys like Grissel, Walker, and a Trey if he would do it. And then you got to hope the merging parts of that new class that are coming in that they like, that you, as you cited, ranked 30th, you know, nationally with like Ramel Lloyd and Jamarcus Lawrence and Keita, that those guys are the real deal. And you go at least like three for four out of, those type of players that they contribute. And then you merge that with guys who have been around, have three or four years of experience, because it's not easy as much as you just want to think of it as like a video game, like, Oh, go play, replace Trey McGowan's with someone better. That's not easy to necessarily just find that guy who comes in and you can plug in for 25 minutes and he can stop the best offensive player on the opposing team. Like that's a really hard find in a matter of three or four months. And that's why I think it'd be a big deal if he came back. Agree with all of that. Uh, and Like I said, I, I find myself really curious what Trey McGowan's does. Cause I think roster construction, if he doesn't come back, you're going to have to go into the portal and find a defensive first player. Uh, because I just don't know that they have anybody else that fits that description. All right, we'll finish up the, the podcast with a little Nebraska baseball talk, and I want to throw a question out that's probably more geared towards Michael Brunch, but if BC wants to answer, I would be curious. How angry do you think that Will Bolt is with how this season has gone so far? And I would like to use a scale, one being not angry at all, and Lou Pinella tirades against umpires being you know 10 so where where does he kind of fit on that sliding scale 
Brunt? Uh, well, I, I think pretty high. Um, you think he's I, kicking dirt on him, throwing stuff out of the he, he's closer to the dugout. Oh, I, I do know this. I know that in the week that Nebraska had that seven game and eight day stretch, he broke two clipboards in the dugout. So, um, it, it's rough being a clipboard or on Nebraska baseball these days, but uh, really yeah. any Nebraska men's sport, you got to be on, you know, if you're a clipboard, you're probably not long for this world. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday after last night's uh, three to two loss to Creighton. And I mean, it was kind of a, a microcosm of, of the season. You know, you, you, you set the table offensively, you go what, two for 14 with runners in scoring position. You, twice in the late innings have uh, runners in, in scoring position with nobody out and you only get one run. Um, and, and including the, the, the eighth inning when you had first and third with nobody out and four five and six at the plate. So it's, you know, a, a team that's scuffling, they pitched well enough to win last night, but uh, defense hurt them again. And just the inability to have productive outs to, you know, string together good at bats and, and that's how they are where they are. And, you know, I, I think, you know, this is a team that I know, you know, coming into that game was hitting 242 last in the big 10. Uh, they haven't hit home runs. They haven't hit extra base hits at the, the rate that they had expected to, or that they did in the fall. So, you know, I, I think this is a team that can hit better than what it's shown, but at, at some point you are, what you show. So um, they're going to need to get things turned around quick. Cause you can see, you saw it last night, guys are pressing up and down the lineup. Yeah. I, I thought last night they were actually going to finally get sort of a breakthrough moment there in that eighth inning, you get first and third. And it's like, who else would you rather have up right now than these hitters? I mean, I guess you had Max Anderson with a runner on third and no outs and he got hit by a pitch. And then after that, it's like, Oh, these are, these are definitely the guys that you would want up. And some of those swings on what you knew was just going to be in a way slider almost every single time was just excruciatingly bad to watch because it was kind of like one of those really campy eighties horror movies where, you know, like there's really no reason that character should go into that room by themselves right now. There's just nothing good. That's going to come out of it. You could see a couple of those guys start those swings and you just knew they weren't connecting with that pitch. Like it was unhittable, not because the stuff was so good, but the location of it was just low and away and they couldn't lay off of it. I mean, they only worked what one walk last night and it wasn't like Creighton's pitchers were just pounding the strike zone. Nebraska was just giving away strikes. A lot of the times that they were up there, the, the approach this year has been somewhat alarming in, in some ways. Like they've, They've been fairly aggressive, and they have not had a lot to show for it. it. It's hard because you you contrast last year's approach at the plate with what this year looks like, and it it's last year was a much more veteran team. Um, however, I mean, you had guys like Jackson Hallmark, Joe Acker, guys that were just playing out of their minds and hitting out of their minds from what they had done previously at Nebraska for an entire season. Um, I, I don't think that the, the coaching points have changed dramatically since last season. Um, 
I, I think part of it's youth. I think part of it is, um, you know, guys still trying to, you know, maybe buy into a, a team hitting approach. And I think Nebraska also, frankly, hasn't found guys to fill roles in that lineup. I mean, until this last week, they hadn't settled on a leadoff hitter. And they, they've only used the same lineup in consecutive days, I think, twice this season. So, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's just a matter of getting guys to stop trying to do too much. I mean, even last night, the wind is just howling in at, um, what is it, Charles Schwab Field now, I guess. And you had guys taking these huge swings when it was a it was a stadium and weather conditions that screamed small ball and contact and, and putting the ball in play. And just Nebraska has not done that with any kind of consistency or regularity this year. Yeah, it was uh, – I think it was Bryce Matthews was up in the ninth. And you just needed to get that one run in to tie. And uh, Creighton's pitcher, who closed that game out somewhat surprisingly to me. I thought he was I thought that he was going to get chased at some point. He hung one of those sliders. And I Matthews took a swing that he was going to try to make it a 4-3 to three game. Just did nothing with it. Just, uh, that's the, the sort of frustration, I think, that that program has right now. And, and Brunt, I mean, I don't even think – postseason play is a realistic thing right now uh, i mean obviously they're under 500 they got to just try to get into the big 10 tournament but what are you trying to salvage over the next month month plus well you, you got to try to get hot i mean nebraska's only path to the ncaa tournament is winning the big 10 tournament at this point so like you said first you got to get in because you're, you're one and two in conference right now and actually if you look at what Nebraska's schedule shakes out to be in conference this year. They basically drew every team that you would probably at the beginning of the season pick to, to be in the big 10 tournament. Um, so that that's kind of what you have to do is you just need to start playing good baseball, like defend it. You know, you, you have to try to get something going offensively and, you know, they, they've pitched okay in, in spots. And they've pitched well enough that if you pitch well enough last night, if you de- if you defend better and you you get a few more things done at the plate, you can win some baseball games in the Big Ten. But uh, that that's just what you have to do now. It, it it becomes much more of a micro type approach where you just focus on the game in front of you and winning that one rather than, I mean the 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 questions at the start of the season about hosting regionals, all that other stuff is gone. So. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's now, you know, how do you get these young guys to a place where they can help you this season? Any, uh, final thoughts on today's podcast as we close this things out? No, I, so is it now Charles Schwab field and, uh, TD Ameritrade park? I think it's Charles Schwab Field at TD Ameritrade Park. <laughs> all right. Is that true? I they they still have all of the original signage is still up. Yeah, I I think it's like Tom Osborne Field at Memorial Stadium. Mm. If that makes sense. They they want to have their cookie and they want to eat it too. Well, maybe the pressure of uh, you know, being on the surface of Charles Schwab Field got to the boys last night. You wondered that. Aren't Charles Schwab and TD Ameritrade competitors of some sort? Well, one bought the other. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Seems like a 
Random Seems like random, a big move. Random uh Charles the, the Charles Schwab, like the, the person Charles Schwab. He was always uh Phil Mickelson's partner in the the, the Pebble Beach uh Pro Am. Really? Do you, do you think Charles Schwab and Edward Jones ever got along? I, I don't know. Is Edward Jones a real person? I think Edward Jones is a real person, or at least there's a picture of him when I go into an Edward Jones office. Now, whether that is a stock photo of an old man petting a horse, I can't tell you, but I think it's Edward Jones. <laughs> they, they probably have some things in common that would allow them to sit down and have a drink together. Is that like the ultimate power move when your first and full name becomes a uh, a brand like Charles Schwab? And Edward Jones and J.C. Penny. Well, it, for a while it was talk to Chuck was their thing. I mean, they even shortened it. Yeah, informal. So guys like us who don't have the money to really worry about this can can have a conversation with Chuck. <laughs> he seems so much more relatable now. Yeah. He's just like us. He's wondering how he's going to pay for those groceries too. All right. Well. BC's just, I think BC's <laughs> ready to be done. I'm ready to go wiki uh, Charles Schwab and learn more about him. All right. Uh, anything else? No. no that's please. all I got. End it. All right. We're done. We could have done better, but this is what you got. If you'd like more, visit Husker247.com. <laughs> we have plenty of coverage on the website. There'll be more podcasts as well. Uh, be sure to check out our YouTube page as well and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Are, 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 are we going to do a, a one last thing? Are we going to do a hype cast for the spring game? Yes, I was going to mention not on the live recorded, not live, on the recorded podcast. We should do another fantasy draft, given that there seems to be a large enough roster of quarterbacks to make this one worthwhile versus the time that Bruns tried to draft all of the quarterbacks. <laughs> we were running the option and we were going to win some football games. Did any of your quarterbacks stick around? Uh, no, I don't think so. I need to go back right. and look. Yeah. We'll take a look at that. But we will have, we'll have good stuff planned for you next week with the uh, the red-white game on Saturday. All right. For Michael Bruns and Brian Christopherson, I'm Mike Schaefer. We'll catch you next time. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.